0: Welcome to the National Vaccine Information Center's Vaccine Science and Policy podcast series. These podcasts are from previously recorded and referenced commentaries and articles produced by MVIC, a charitable nonprofit organization.
1: Hello everyone, this is Barbara Lowe Fisher joined by Don Richardson. We're with the National Vaccine Information Center. And today we're gonna be talking about the new annual 2020 Report on US state legislation. Uh, and Don, uh, I want you to give an overview, a brief overview of what we saw this year in the state legislatures.
2: Hi, Barbara. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about this today. So, 2020, like it has been all year, has been unprecedented in the area of vaccine law as well. In the state legislatures, we saw a steady increase of bills being filed. And even though things came to a grinding halt in March and everything was thrown upside down with COVID-19, we had more bills that we tracked, analyzed, issued positions on than we have ever had before. We had 232 bills, which is more than we've had since the NVIC advocacy portal came online in 2010. It was a big jump, but what was even more surprising and actually very encouraging before everything went crazy was that we had 99 bills that we supported. Why that's important is because when you listen to what's going on in the media or you follow social media or you follow what's happening with censorship and all the other challenges that, we have been having in not only in our movement, but in other natural health movements and other freedom movements. The censorship has been crazy, but our legislators are listening to our people. Our people are educating them. They're going in one-on-one, they're talking to them. And we had 99 positive bills that supported our mission, filed the session. Like I said, that's the most we've ever had. Back in 2016, We only had 18 positive bills. So in this period of the last several years here, you've made a difference in talking to your legislators. So that's the untold story here that you're not going to hear in the media. That's true. Uh, Before we go into some
1: details about what happened this year in the state legislatures, uh, a lot of people who are watching may not be familiar with the MVIC advocacy portal. And uh, you created that in 2010. And over the past decade, we've been on the ground in the states, working with um, families in every state, and give a kind of a brief overview of what the portal is and how people can register.
2: Great. So you can go to nvicadvocacy.org and sign up. We also have links off of nvic.org where you can link and uh, go to the portal directly. You register. And the reason why we have you register is because we need your home address. And what we do is we use some programming to look up who your legislators are. So when you log into the portal and you're looking at an action alert for your state, You'll see talking points. You'll see uh, the information about where the bill is, what's going to happen next, and what action you need to take. Side, on the side of that, on the right-hand side of the screen, is the connection to your individual legislators. If you click on their name, you're gonna see not only their address, but their preferred contact methods. So if they have a web form that they prefer to have filled out, they have an email, they list their fax machine, they have their social media listed. So you can be empowered to take our information and write your own letter your statement or make a phone call and using their preferred methods of communication, you can communicate a position on a bill and educate your legislators. It's really important that you use their preferred method of communication. I, and it's also very important that you personalize There's nothing beats in-person communication. Right now, it's kind of hard to get an in-person meeting, but legislators are working from home. You can call them. We have that information and people will be answering the messages and giving information to legislators. So please don't let this at-home stuff stop you from communicating with your legislators. The portal has been set up so that you can be empowered, get the information and communicate it in real time to your legislators. We also have connections with people in every single state. We work closely with leaders and different groups, and we have our staff. We're looking at bills every single day. We're updating the portal in real time because bills move quickly. Sometimes all of a sudden a committee hearing happens or a vote happens on the floor as bills get shuffled around. We have that information because of our connections and we communicate it to you. So it's really important to log in often and know that your voice is making and does make a difference. I have a few stats here, Barb, that I'd love to share um, some of the bills. Before you share the dot, I just want to emphasize
1: to everyone that MBIC, from the time we were founded in 1982, has put a premium on privacy and on protecting your information. Right. Any information that you give our organization, including the information that you give to be a registered user of the MBIC advocacy portal is absolutely protected. We do not share our lists with anyone. So you can be assured that when you register, you are, the reason is, as Don explained, we have to hook you up to your own state legislator. And, we, and, and so when you get email alerts from Don about a bill that's moving in your state, It's tailored to you, to your state. You're not getting every single state's information cluttering up your email box. And I think the other thing, uh, before we go into specifics, is it's so important to remember that you need to, as Don says, personalize your communication with your legislator. If it's not a face to face communication with the member or with a staff member, uh, you need to personalize it. I worked on the Hill many, many years ago. And I remember in that congressman's office, when the mail would come in, if it was part of a, if it was a petition, or if it was part of a canned sort of campaign, where the the, the letter looked like other letters that were coming in, like form letters, that went into the circular file. The only mail that we really answered was personalized mail from the constituent of the member. In other words, if we got mail from another congressman's constituent, we didn't do anything with that either. But yeah. we have to answer the personal mail that came in from a constituent in the district. That is it, it, there's so much petition signing and 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 canned campaigns going on, and it just honestly, it just doesn't work.
2: It doesn't have the impact, Barb. The legislators have to see- see themselves in you. They have to recognize that you're a real person, you're concerned about your family, you care about your family, and that you care about these issues and that you're responsible in how you bring the information forward. Um, They just don't have time for these emails that are automatically generated. And unfortunately, there are several platforms out there that are promising to do all the work for you please know that really doesn't make a difference. Those emails that come from a dedicated IP address like that oftentimes get all shoved into one folder that's deleted. They're not even really looked at it's through the preferred contact methods that the legislators pay attention. That's why they set it up. When you go around that, it's actually disrespectful to what they're asking for. So um, that's what we help you do. We empower you to be able to do that and uh, know that you are making a difference. Um, Some of the stats from this session that I just wanted to bring up that are interesting is we had 123 bills that we opposed this session. That's a lot, only eight of them passed. Now, it's a lot harder granted to pass legislation than it is to defeat it. But given the amount of money, nobody will contest the amount of money that pharma and medical trade has put into lobbying for these bills that would either restrict or remove exemptions. We And yet they were highly unsuccessful this year. 13 bills in 10 states were filed to completely eliminate exemptions. None of them passed. And out of 10 bills filed in eight states to try and restrict exemptions, only one passed, and that was Colorado. And they passed a bill that would require some education in a particular form for the exemption, some online education. And so given what we were up against, um, it's remarkable that not as much got passed as as we thought it would. And also I do think COVID helped us a little bit, the fact that legislatures were shortened um, and legislators found that they were in a priority over what they had time to complete. And for a lot of states, this just wasn't a priority, thank goodness. And also the legislators understood how important it is with a COVID-19 vaccine looming on the horizon, Vaccine exemptions are important. Vaccine informed consent is very important, not just for children, but for adults. We had a whole bunch of bills in the um, area of adult mandates for work. and we, But on the same time, we also had bills that would restrict, even more bills that would restrict adult mandates for work. People are recognizing and legislators are recognizing that you shouldn't have to inject yourself to be able to feed your family. So um, these are issues that are resonating, they're resonating with legislators, and it it really has to do with you taking the time to communicate. And that's what the NVIC Advocacy Portal and our program is all about, is educating you so that they're not just hearing from medical trade or pharma. There's an old expression, I come from a computer background, and there's an old expression called garbage in, garbage out. If you put garbage into the system, you're gonna get garbage out. And what's happening a lot in the state legislatures is that legislators are only hearing a very slanted pro pharma one size fits all vaccine advocacy. And they're not hearing the message from how this actually impacts families in their day-to-day lives with children who have had past reactions, family histories of reactions or, not having the ability to have their job as a nurse or a doctor because of these mandates. And legislators are listening, but there are also legislators that are only hearing the other side. So if we don't give them our message, we're gonna get that garbage in, garbage out and have very oppressive vaccine policies and laws. So of garbage in, garbage out, one of the things you know, I'm
1: fanatical about referencing information mbic.org is full of referenced information. Why? Because I knew a long, long time ago when we started this work in the early 80s that if we didn't get our facts straight, if we were not accurate in the information we put out, we would be immediately discredited. Now they're trying to discredit us anyway by slapping labels like anti-science, anti-vaccine, etc. on us when we've only always uh, supported informed consent. That is voluntary vaccination. We don't tell people to vaccinate or not to vaccinate, but right. nevertheless, our information is trustworthy. And the information that you put out in the action alerts that you issue through the portal, our abs is, is absolutely vetted. We don't put out incorrect information. Yes. Occasionally we make a mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. Occasionally we're quick to correct it because mm-hmm. if you give your legislators inaccurate information, they will never trust you again. And that is so critical.
2: And actually that's what's helping us because we get phone calls from legislators around the country asking us to look at language and when we point out that they've been given incorrect information and give them the references by the other side advocating for a bill to remove or restrict exemptions or to add more mandates, and they're given incorrect information about the frequency of the disease, the sequelae, they are oftentimes shocked. Well, they'll say, "Well, nobody ever told me that before." I'm like, "Well, here's the reference. You know, we we give them good information and that they know that they can trust the information that's coming from." Not only our organization, but our people who use the portal and use our information and uh, they come to recognize our work and appreciate it. And so it's important to always be accurate, to never inflate anything or misrepresent the information that's out there that we provide is supportive of our mission and legislators know that. So please use our resources. Like Barbara said, we spend so much time making sure we have good references and good information for you.
1: That's very true. Well, you know, as we're heading into 2021, we we know that this has been an unusual legislative session. To some extent, they weren't able to do the full business that they would have done. Maybe we would have had more of a challenge, but we know in 2021, Without a doubt, with this COVID 19 vaccine coming, we are going to face an, an, an absolute uphill climb as these uh, legislators who are determined in some states to absolutely eliminate not only vaccine exemptions, but mandate every ACIP recommended vaccine, which is what that one, the worst bill that happened this year was Virginia. Virginia is the state where NDIC is headquartered. And that legislature, it's a trifecta state right now, controlled by one party. That legislature absolutely did the wrong thing by basically codifying into state law, the ACIP recommendations. Uh, so automatically in that state, whenever the CDC makes a universal use recommendation, like we believe is coming in COVID-19, it will be put into the mandated list for school entry after the the Board of Health does a cursory review, but there won't be any public hearings. There won't right. be any public hearings by the, the, by the people. Basically, that legislature in Virginia has cut the people out from participating in the democratic process, which is extremely dangerous. And I believe they're going to try to go state by state and make that the same situation in every state, which, of course, they're not happy about. The traction that we've gotten with the mbic obviously portal they're not happy with people going into and talking with their legislators and making a difference so what do you see in 2021 as we this covid 19 vaccine is going to be approved probably several vaccines and there are going to be states that are going to try to mandate it. we know virginia will the health commissioner of virginia has already said we will be mandating the, the covid 19 vaccine in virginia so what what is your what is your uh, what do you see and what is your advice?
2: My advice for people is to take this report and look at it very carefully if you want to make a difference because we cover all the different areas that vaccine law has been amended in the past ten years, and specifically this year, the areas that were heavily edited and amended, and with the impending covid nineteen vaccine areas like vaccine tracking are going to try and be expanded because obviously they're going to want to be able to know the status at any given time of everybody's vaccine, uh, whether or not they've received the vaccine and link it to different databases. That key of Uh, making these databases interoperable where they can connect to each other and establish a record in real time on someone where they just pull from your health records, from the state database, from your insurance, and be able to identify wherever you are what your vaccine status is. That's a real risk, and that's what they're moving towards. We have an extended uh, section in our annual report about that and specifically what you can do and talk to your legislators about with making these systems opt-in, informed consent, not only on participating in the registry, but also on the release of data. It has to stay, you have to feel safe that when you go to your doctor and you discuss something, and if you decide to take a vaccine or refuse a vaccine, if you want that information to stay safe at your doctors and not go to a bunch of bureaucrats that are not necessarily in the same position as you over the vaccine, then we need that in state law to protect that. So that's an area that we highlight. In terms of mandates, um, you know, we talked to you in the report about how to talk to your legislators about making sure that people have the ability to refuse or delay a vaccine if they want to. That is critical. And I think with the information that we provide and that we constantly update, you'll be able to talk to your legislators as this rolls out about concerns that you have with the vaccine or your medical privacy and how whether or not you take a vaccine could affect a future job. We also have concerns about what's happened with the pharmacists. There has been a push over the last several years to allow people to go to a pharmacy to have their vaccines. We have been very vocal against having children Go to pharmacies and be vaccinated. There is a very important concept of a medical home where a doctor knows your family history, uh, your child's medical history, and past reactions, allergies, their health status. That is not something that your corner pharmacy or your drugs or your your supermarket pharmacy in the back of the store, those pharmacists are not going to know that information. And there are some very real contraindications and reasons for delaying or declining a vaccine that are listed in the vaccine package insert and also in the vaccine information statements. And, the pharmacists aren't gonna have that privilege. They're not gonna know the difference between if a child has an anaphylactic reaction, an allergic, like an allergic reaction, whether they faint or whether they have a cardiac event. Most pharmacies don't even have defibrillators. So you know, going in the back of a pharmacy and getting vaccinated, it trivializes real vaccine reactions that happen and can happen shortly after vaccination. These kids are not being monitored and the people who are working there don't have the training, the medical training to intervene and help them. So we've been very vocal against them and we were very successful out of all the bills that tried to expand the capacity of pharmacists to give vaccines to children. They were all defeated. And then the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, issued a directive to amend the PrEP Act and allow pharmacists to give vaccines to children three years old and older. And that was very concerning to us. It circumvented the wisdom and the discourse that legislators were having in the states to really try and really analyze whether or not they wanted kids vaccinated. And he just usurped that. And we've seen that currently in other areas where the federal government has stepped in. And I am genuinely concerned going into 2021, the role that a federal um, circumvention of states' rights that how that's going to happen. So we need to pay. a lot
1: lot is going to depend upon this election. Uh, I've seen uh, articles that have called for vaccines to be given by dentists, to be given uh, by uh, in hair salons, to be given in a number of different non-traditional areas. So the the pharmacy, the pharmacists were the first profession outside of uh, the MD. Uh, or the medical worker that that has been brought into the vaccine administration uh, role. And I think it's going to be expanded uh, if it goes on. And of course, the pediatricians, the American Academy of Pediatrics, is now on record opposing pharmacists being able to give vaccines. But that's a lot about them, the pediatricians, having as their main reason why children come in is those well baby visits that are quite frequent now, well children yeah. that really the only reason they're coming in is for another vaccine.
2: Yeah, it affects their bread and butter. I know when I testified in Texas against the pharmacy bill um, myself, I was sitting next to the representative for the uh, Texas for representing the American Academy of Pediatrics, a Texas representative, and uh, it was. Kind of ironic because we were both opposed to the bill, but for completely different reasons. You know, this affects their bread and butter. This is their mainstay, and this is, you know, we actually had bills that tried to allow podiatrists uh, in the United States this year in different states. Podiatrists, dentists, um, optometrists, um, even emergency EMTs. um, Everybody wants their hand because this is a huge and growing market, and you know, with the economy the way it is, I'm not surprised that everybody wants to be able to give the vaccines. The problem is the people giving them, if you expand outside of the capacity of the people who actually know the family and know the child, vaccines can and do sometimes cause injury and death and it's serious and you know, having these drive-through vaccine clinics through pharmacies or in parking lots, it trivializes the seriousness of the reactions that can happen and it could put people at risk. Well, you know, it's interesting. It is a double-edged sword though, because I do know people who would rather take their children in uh,
1: to get uh, at a, a urgent care facility or at uh, at a uh, pharmacy you would rather get the vaccines in because they're not pressured and browbeaten by a pediatrician into getting many vaccines in one day. It's kind of interesting. The medical home is, again, a double-edged sword.
0: When Mm -hmm. you get into
1: a situation where you're captured within a medical practice, and of course, there's a new poll out now uh, showing that most doctors in this country are throwing families out of their practice. Pediatricians are denying medical care to to children whose parents don't give them the recommended vaccines on the CDC schedule. So, It's kind of a, like I said,
2: I think like, you know, the walk-in clinics and, and where there's actual people that actually have medical training, it's different. And that's better, obviously, than going to the back of a pharmacy. The other thing that's happening in the pharmacy, because Again, they're not gonna get a lot of training. I know with the directive that the Secretary of Health and Human Services did, they said 20 hours. Most parents who have researched this issue have spent more than 20 hours researching vaccines. There's 57 different vaccines right now that are given in the United States. And uh, there's a lot of information about those vaccines, contraindications, allergies, and, you know, the way, you know what it's like going back and waiting in line to pay for something at the pharmacy counter. And um, it's just, it's just a tricky situation. And, but anyway, um, I think that legislators are going to be frustrated with the fact that they've actually put a lot of time and research into an issue and that, uh, an appointed person who wasn't elected at the federal level just decided to usurp all of their work that they've put on these issues. This is, could be a, even a 10th Amendment issue, and we might see some litigation in different areas as the federal government tries to go around what the state legislatures normally handle.
1: Yeah, and the other bill that that, that is, that these types of bills that are so concerning are the school shaming bills, the public posting, of vaccination rates in different schools uh, and the exemption
2: rates, which of course encourages bullying and shaming of people who don't have all the vaccines. Absolutely. Um, the school shaming bills to me uh, are some of the bills that need to be most vigorously opposed because it condones this societal um Discrimination, bullying, and segregation of families from making informed medical decisions. What's best for their What's best for their children? Now, what's interesting is the University of Michigan in 2014 published a paper in, in a publication called Milbank Quarterly, I believe, and they actually spelled out they had a playbook of what strategies different legislatures could use to restrict or remove exemptions. And one of the things that they talked about in this paper was to do a public posting. Even if the information was already held by the health department, they said in there that if you publicly post these rates, it could generate favorable media coverage that could put pressure to remove or restrict exemptions and they specifically cite what happened in California in 20 in uh what happened what happened in California with the uh this information how it it has helped put pressure on because What ended up happening in 2015, as you know, the legislature removed the personal belief exemption in California. So they started doing that. And we saw, we followed the media and saw how they would highlight specific schools, specific districts, and the media went crazy talking about that. And that information that was put out there was used as fodder in 2015 to scare legislators into removing exemptions. So this information uh, and this promotion of socially ostracized and and, uh, pointing out and calling out schools that have kids with exemptions has been well thought out. And um, luckily, this year, we had a whole bunch of bills and none of them passed. And one of the most remarkable states at holding this back, and I want to bring up is the state of Arizona. They have had bills filed to publicly post and shame schools since 2015, every single year. And there are some amazing legislators in Arizona who have held the line and held these bills back. And a big shout out to them um, and for the people, for the legislature and for the people in Arizona for communicating this. We need to watch out for those types of bills and make sure we stop them.
1: That's right, and I'm just uh, so happy that we're working with so many groups in different states, health freedom groups and vaccine choice groups. Uh, this there's more groups out there now than I would have ever imagined when we started back in the 80s. When we were really NBIC was the only the only organization that was was talking about these issues. And now I think what's happened this year this issue of of infectious disease and public health laws that are very oppressive, including vaccine laws, has been elevated to the number one global health issue in the world and this you know you, you, you talk about not being able to uh, put the genie back in the bottle never again uh, in the really worldwide will people not think about public health laws and vaccination in the same way everything has changed and it interestingly that conversation has been elevated by the public health officials themselves who I believe overreached this year, tried to grab too much territory <laughs> and mm-hmm. are going to really pay the price in terms of public perception of what they're doing. Uh, and rightly so. We've been ringing this bell for almost 40 years, warning the public that this day was coming, that that these, that, that, that I always say the tip of the spear in the culture wars is mandatory vaccination. If they can, If they can successfully pass laws that completely prohibit you from exercising any kind of choice in what is put into your body, in this case, vaccines, but it won't end with vaccines, then you are not going to be free in any sense of the word. And what we're doing in the States, what you've done with creating that NVIC advocacy portal is, is nothing short of amazing. And the pushback is because we've been successful. And I believe we just have to keep going no matter what they throw at us we keep on going
2: absolutely barbara and i couldn't help but thinking when you were talking about how unprecedented things were there were three states that i want to just highlight here for example in the state of florida There was a Senator, Lauren Book, who filed a bill, SB 64, to completely remove the religious exemption. It also had some elements restricting the medical exemption. She filed this way ahead of the legislative session even starting. She filed it back in uh, in the late part of 2019. And what happened was people around the state gathered together and they shared information and they showed up at their local delegation meetings in force and they, the, their legislators, the regional legislators would show up at these meetings and people stood in line and they talked and they talked and they brought information, we issued action alerts. And this was the most amount of activity that I've ever seen coordinated with good people and good groups, the Health Freedom Florida group in the state of Florida coordinating ahead of time to get out ahead and communicate with legislators so that was a big thing that we really hadn't seen in years past and in new jersey oh my goodness anybody who has even any remote connection to this issue how could you not miss the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who showed up on the grounds of the capitol building in new jersey standing outside the windows and and cheering and talking and they the legislators inside could hear while they were debating and that show of strength and force of those people gave the support and courage to the legislators who were inside, who stood the line and would not have their arm twisted by pharma lobbyists or medical trade lobbyists or other legislators threatening other pieces of important legislation that they had. The line that was held in New Jersey with the amount of people that showed up and the brave legislators who stopped, um, and this all happened in December and January, that was all before. Covid even happened, so thousands and thousands of people showed up, and we saw that in different states. We saw it in Washington, we saw it in Oregon, we saw unprecedented numbers of people showing up, and even in California recently. But then we also had um, a lot, a lot of lot. We had a lot of people communicating with legislators in. New creative ways showing up at district meetings at local meetings at you know engaging with them on social media and I think that this communication and level of involvement, like you said, we're never going to be able to put the genie back in the bottle ever again and lastly, I did want to mention also Connecticut. this was kind of a um, this was a really unique situation, and my admiration to the legislators, the brave legislators in Connecticut, the people showed up and it's a very small state, you know, it's a, it's a tiny state, but the amount of parents who showed up, but what happened is the the committee that was hearing the bill to remove the religious exemption, let every single person say their piece. That testimony went on and gripped the nation for more than 21 hours. We saw pictures afterwards of families, parents sleeping in the hallways. The legislators sat there, and they were respectful. They listened. They asked thought-provoking questions whether they were for the removal of the exemption or against it. This is what's supposed to happen in a that's representative. America. That's supposed to be what America's like. Exactly. And uh, hats off to the people in Connecticut, to the legislators, to the families, and, you know, for any legislator that's you know, watching this right now, take a look when if you go to the portal and look up the Connecticut bill to remove the exemption, we have the links in there to that testimony. It is truly, truly remarkable. And I hope that more states start really making it available to people to be able to participate because that's the way the best government happens is when the people who the laws affect, who the proposed laws affect actually get to testify, not just those who make a profit off of the laws. This is not a fringe movement. This is a mainstream
1: social movement. And you know those who are trying to marginalize this movement are, are, are doing it because they don't want to admit it is a bipartisan middle America movement. And it, it, is, it involves hundreds of thousands of people. Every time you see a crowd like that in Connecticut or in New Jersey, for every person who shows up, they represent many, many more people who can't get there. And so, you know, it's interesting, the Bill of Rights that guarantees freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly. There are reasons why our founders of our country put those that Bill of Rights in place and attached it to the US Constitution. Um, and those rights were violated this year big time and when you can't assemble when you can't get together with like-minded people and and basically demonstrate that, that you are more than just a few people mm-hmm. it, it, it's a threat to democracy it's a threat to our constitutional republic which is why mbic has been posing these questions this year I, why i wrote a covid 19 report that i continue to update why that uh, Vaccine Awareness Week, which this interview is, is being uh, featured in, uh, why we're talking about the issues of trust and, and we're also talking about our conference, the 5th the International Public Conference on Vaccination that will be, to be sponsored by NVIC, held October 16 through 19, 2020 online. We were going to hold it in, in a hotel, but because of everything that happened, we knew that we couldn't take that risk and so we we are holding it online making it accessible for a very low price and don you're going to be one of the uh, more than 40 speakers who are going to be talking and expanding upon the comments that you've made here in this in this video uh just give us a just a very brief uh you know summary of what you're going to talk about or highlights of what you're going to talk about and then we'll sign off
2: (laughs) Right, yeah, we um, have a proprietary way of analyzing our vaccine legislation and we do a lot of number crunching and we look at patterns and trends. That analysis will be presented at the conference as well as areas, if you are interested in making a difference, what you can talk to your legislators about Uh, for suggestions on filing bills to make a difference and then go into a whole training session on how to talk to your legislators, how to break out a three minute testimony, what to say, how to communicate so that you're listened to and heard rather than dismissed. And that training is going to be really helpful going into 2020. I encourage everyone to get on our videos for our conference. And um, I know you can get these lifetime memberships. You can go back and reference it. And Barb, I also believe we're going to be uh, later on having publications so that people who sign up will be able to later on acquire actual printed publications of all the references and all of the information that the speakers are presented i'm so excited about these tools i feel that our people are going to be the best informed that they've ever been after this conference going into the 2021 legislative session and beyond and uh, i encourage everyone to make sure you're signed up for it and um, get that access so even if you can't watch the entire thing from start to finish that you will be able to over the next month be able to go back and you know listen and watch these incredible speakers from literally all over the world that are experts in their area that they're going to be speaking on the world-renowned experts and to have that all at your fingertips from home um, it's going to put us in the best situation moving forward
1: i agree uh, so go to nvic.org and you can register for the conference and of course register for nvicadvocacy.org. Uh, That's the advocacy portal where you get personal in your email box information about bills living in your state and you can take action. Thank you so much, Dawn. Uh, This has been great. Uh, We don't get to see each other in person very often, but uh, it's great being
0: able to meet up online. So thank you.
2: Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Before you take a risk, find out what it is. To learn more about vaccines, diseases, and the human right to informed consent, visit MVIC.org, the website of the nonprofit charity, the National Vaccine Information Center. Since 1982, MVIC has worked to prevent vaccine injuries and deaths through public education and to secure informed consent protections in US vaccine policies and laws. Visit MVIC.org and MVICadvocacy.org to get well-referenced vaccine information that you can trust and share with your family, friends, and members of your community. It's your health, your family, your choice.